0: You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we're continuing our study of the life of David we're calling Hills and Valleys. With this week's message, here's senior pastor Lance Bourgeois.
1: You know, many of us have had that opportunity where we found ourselves, maybe it was a counseling situation, maybe it was a life coaching situation, maybe it even was just a game where you were driving somewhere with some people and you said, hey, let's do word association stuff. If you think with me, if you've ever seen the ink blot uh, test, the Rorschach test, or somebody shows you a blob of ink and somebody says, what does this make you think of? Maybe it was a word where somebody offered you a word and you had to, they said, we're going to give you something and we want to hear your first response back. We're going to do that now. I've just got one word for you, okay? Here it comes. I want you to think with me how you respond to this word. You ready? Here it is. Change. How do you respond to that word? Change. Is it something that you have a positive response to? Is it something you have a negative response to? Is it something that you think, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I've got to go through this again? Or is it somebody that says, I can't wait? I got to tell you, personally, I like change. I like change for the sake of change. I like change even if something's going okay. My brain thinks, could we be better? Could we make something better? Now, change is inevitable. We all have it. It's everywhere. It's every day of our life. Even if we think I'm just gonna keep doing the same thing, it's not the same thing if you do it at 20, if you do it at 30, if you do it at 40, because life changes. Change is inevitable. Whether or not it is a career path change, maybe it's a family change, maybe it's a geography change. I gotta tell you, I every time, and I recognize this is not true for everybody. But when I'm driving on the interstate and I see a van line moving truck go by, I get excited. I get excited for whoever it is that I think they're on a new adventure. I don't know what it is, but yet I recognize that part of that's because of how I feel about change is I get excited and think it's a new adventure. In 2014, our family packed up and we moved to Louisiana and that felt like, oh, well, this is good. And yet we were sad for what we were leaving, but we thought God's got something new for us. And then all of a sudden, in 2019, we're moving back. And I'm like, this van line knows which way to go for us. We just keep going back and forth. And we were really excited about it. How do you feel about change? Because this morning, we're talking about change, where we have a moment in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David says, I'm going to do something for God. I want to honor him with something that I can do for him. And what we see is God says, That's not your plan. That's not your plan. And if you're David, you may think God's changing the plan on me. And if we think for a moment and we think critically, what we know is this, is God doesn't change his plans. He's omniscient. God knows what's going to happen. What changes is David's perception of what God's plan is for him. And all of a sudden, what God does is says, David, I'm not rejecting your plan. I'm redirecting your plan. I've got something else for you. And so it might feel like at times God rejects what we want to do. God would say, it's not rejection. I'm redirecting. I have something for you, and I want you to do that. And that's where we're going to be this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you'd open up your copy of Scripture then we're gonna see what this is. And somewhere in there, I want us to think in terms of David being a human being like us. I mean, we've talked about him being a man after God's own heart, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have all the emotions that we have. It just means that he has this heart that wants to beat for Christ. And in this, he finds that moment where God says, not that, but this. So if you begin with me in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what we're gonna see is the way that this begins. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go do all this in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Let's pause a second. We know that when it says king, we know we're talking about David. But you recognize we don't even get David's name there? In these first three verses, what we see is we see the repetition of the word king. We're now referring to David as his title, not as an individual, as his role, as his title. He is the sovereign over the kingdom, everything is at his disposal. It's a time of rest. All of a sudden, this, this shepherd king, this warrior who had had all of these experiences out in the field, out and about, winning battles, leading armies, leading people, finds himself in a position where he doesn't have a battle to fight. He's just sitting there. Times are good, things are at rest, everything's at peace. And if you've ever been that person, you're thinking, okay, what's next? What's next? What's my next mountain to climb? What's my next hill to conquer? And David has a moment as he sits in this house. Now let's take a second and talk about this house because it was very significant that he would have had a palace. We're told in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we've already looked at this chapter, and Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. So when we talk about a king, recognize this isn't just a house, this is his palace. And kings of other areas are sending stuff to celebrate his rule. And you and I might say, well, of course he had a house. But it's more than just that. It's more of what it symbolizes. Eugene Merrill captures this for us when he says, In the ancient Near East, the people did not consider a king's sovereignty fully established until he had built himself an appropriate palace. See, it's all of a sudden in that appropriate palace where he finds himself in this position where he says, you know what? I am in a place. This this shows my sovereignty. This shows my power. This shows my royalty. It shows all of that. And David is sitting around, and in this passage, as he's sitting there, he's like, hmm, well, things are good. I'm in my palace. Let me look around. What can I do? What's my next hill to conquer? And you know what he says? You know what? I need to build a house for the Lord because he recognizes there's this inequity to the system because he looks up and says, well, I'm in a permanent house, but God's ark, that symbol of his presence, that's in a tent. And he has that moment where he says, if it's important for a king to have a house, and I'm an earthly king and I have a house, what about the sovereign king of the universe? He doesn't even have a house yet. His ark, his presence is still traveling around in a tent. And he goes to Nathan, the prophet. See, previously Samuel had been a prophet. Now the Lord's called Samuel home. Now Nathan is a prophet. Nathan is one of his subjects So when the king tells one of his loyal subjects, hey, I want to do this, you can ask the question, did did Nathan really have the right to say no? I mean, he's the king. But more than that, what Nathan knew about David was that David was a man after God's own heart. And so he knew that he was attuned to the Lord. He knew that he was attuned to what the Lord wanted and what the Lord would call him to do. And you see how Nathan responds? Nathan doesn't go and pray. Nathan doesn't set aside. He doesn't consult the Lord. Nathan just says, go and do all this in your heart for the Lord is with you. David, I know this about you. I know that you're a man after God's own heart and I know that you're attuned to him. And so when you say that's what you want to do as my king, do what you want to do, king. But as a prophet, I know your heart, and I know that your heart with the Lord is linked together. So go and do it. Go and do it. This is what the Lord has on your heart. Three verses, no reference to David's name, only that he's the king. It's interesting because everything's about to change. And if we read this, I don't want you to think rejection. I want you to think redirection, okay? Because everything's about to change. And we're not going to see David called as the king anymore because God has this moment where he says, I know you're the king on earth, but let's keep our, our bearings, David. I'm the king of heaven. And so we see the title change. And now we see David the individual as the Lord comes back to him. Look with me if you would. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. So let's stop a second. See, that night, Nathan got alone with the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, Nathan, I know you're my prophet, but you didn't speak on my behalf. You didn't even consult me in the, I've got a different plan. So I want you to go to, did you see? I want you to go to David, but what does he call him? My servant. He doesn't say, go to the king. He says, Nathan, I want you to go to my servant. Uh, let's get our bearing straight here on who the king is. David's king over Israel and Judah, make no mistake. But when God's dealing with him, he says, let's get our bearings straight, David. I'm the authority here. So I want you to go to David, comma, my servant. He's under my direction. And I want you to say, thus saith the Lord. You go tell him what I said, because we're about to change everything. Would you like to build me a house to dwell in, David? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought you, excuse me, I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved, with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, let's just stop for a second. Do you see it? Lord said, you're not building this for me for three reasons. Three reasons, David, why you're not the one building this for me. You see that first question that he says, you, would you build me a house, David? Now, we have got to say, David understands because, and we might miss this, but we get this recorded for us in First Chronicles 22. David saying, but the word of the Lord came to me, David, saying, you've shed much blood and you've waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Now, I do think it's significant that we look at him and say, this isn't God's condemnation. This isn't God telling David, you have failed me. This isn't God judging David's character. This was, David was ceremonially unclean because of the bloodshed. Now, God had called David to fight these battles. Matter of fact, remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a passage where everybody had been uh, pillaged and everybody had taken away as hostages. And David goes to the Lord and says, should I pursue them? And the Lord said, go pursue them. And you're going to overtake them, and you're going to rescue everybody. So this isn't God's condemnation. This isn't God's discipline in his life. He just says, David, you're not the right one. Now, recognize David's intentions are good. David has a heart to honor the Lord. That's where this begins with. And right off the bat, what we see is there can be good intention, a good heart before the Lord to do something for him, and the Lord might say, but you're not the right person to do it. And that's hard for us sometimes because we want to pick our own path. And in those moments, we figure, hey, I'm the king of my life. And I think what the Lord would say is, my servant, fill in your name. You're my servant, fill in your name. And all of a sudden, if you're David, you're like, whoa, I get it. I know the law. I understand. My heart wanted to do something for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, you're not the right one. That can be a blow to your ego, can't it? It can be really hard when we think, I want to do this. Lord, why would you not let me honor you this way? Lord says you're not the right person. And contrary to the way that we may think this, says, you know what, I'm going to captain my own ship. I will do whatever I want to do. I'm going to lay whatever path I want to. I'll set it in my heart. If we're really the servant of the Lord, then the Lord gets to dictate what we do. And in this moment, we find this incredible moment where God says, let me just remind you, David, I didn't make you for this. I'm not judging you, David. I'm just telling you, you're not made for this. You see his second reason? He tells us the second reason where he says, you've worshiped in a tent since the Exodus. Remember the Exodus? My people have always worshiped in this tent since the Exodus. We've had this moment. And so everywhere you went, as you wandered the wilderness, why did you need a portable place of worship? Because wherever you go, You're going to worship me. As you cycle through the wilderness, I'm going with you. That tent is a physical reminder that I'm portable with you. Never once in those 40 years did you ever not have me by your side. At every moment, I was with you. And there's a great remembrance for us there too, right? The Lord's always with us. We can't ever leave him. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Everywhere you go to the ends of the earth, I'm with you. And that was part of the reason of the tent. And you know what else that tent was? It was a reminder. Every time they saw that tent, They have a memory. Oh yeah, we've been in this tent since the Lord led us out of Egypt. He's been faithful every step of the way. He has never once failed me. And at every step, our vision of that tent is a reminder of God's faithfulness. You're not the right person, David. You've been in this tent. I'm using that tent for my purposes. And the third one, did you see it? I never asked for a tent. Excuse me, I never asked for a place, a house. I'm comfortable in the tent. I don't want it. And if it's for the Lord, and isn't this so true of us? Is we feel like we can go before the Lord and dictate the terms of the way that we will worship the Lord? And the Lord says, no, no, no. If the temple's about worshiping me, shouldn't I get to dictate when I get the temple? Shouldn't I be able to dictate who builds my temple? I recognize that goes so far against our mindset that we say we'll worship God on our terms. And God says, no, when you worship me, if it's authentic worship, then I will, I will address how you worship me. And God changes the plan on David. Does he have the right to? He absolutely has the right to. Did, did God change his plan? Absolutely not. You know whose plan he changed? David's perception of what God's plan was for David. God have the right to do that? He absolutely has the right to do that. Because this was always about David trying to pursue what the Lord would have for him. And that's how we end up in this situation. So look at what ends up happening. So now we're using the word, this isn't a rejection, it's a redirecting, okay? It's a redirecting. Look with me, if you would, at verse 8. Now, therefore... See, now, I'm not just saying not to do this, and I'm not going to leave you in limbo, David. I'm telling you now, now what I want you to do, David, is this. Verse 8, thus you shall say to my servant, David, catch it again, my servant. Now what you will say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel, and I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you, uh, make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges, over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now let's stop for a second, because what we see is this. As we see this moment where the Lord is saying, okay, David, I get it, you wanted to be a builder, but I didn't create you to be a builder. I created you to be a ruler. I've created you to be a ruler, this shepherd king that's going out into the world to care for and shepherd people. That's my heart for you, David. It's nothing wrong with building. That's just not your role. We're one body made up of many parts. We herald that in our church. We herald that in the New Testament for believers. We don't all have every role. Thus saith the Lord to my servant, David, I don't want you to build. I've got something else for you you're going to be a ruler. And he begins to articulate some of these things where he says, I've got these opportunities for you. He said, I started with you in a pasture, David. Remember that? Remember when you were out with the sheep? Because I took that shepherd boy and I turned him into a shepherd king. And so all of a sudden I brought you in this, into this ruling realm where you're shepherding people now, David. David. And then he starts making promises to David. And in these promises, we see this as such a pivotal part of our scriptures. And I know that times where Christians say, I'm a New Testament Christian, and so I don't really need the Old Testament. We we don't buy into that at all. We learn God's character. We learn God's heart all in the Old Testament. We see God work and reveal himself, and we understand the story because of it. But make no mistake, this passage right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is this climatic moment in the whole of God's revelation because what we know this to be is the Davidic covenant. The covenant where God makes a covenant with David that begins with him and goes on through all of eternity. Matter of fact, it points to Messiah, and we're going to see that in a minute. But make no mistake, this is a pivotal chapter in the whole of Scripture. When God reveals himself, it's always important. But when we see what God does in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it sets us up to understand Messiah. It uh, helps us understand everything that is coming. And we see God's promises really laid out for David. And by the way, in the way that God makes this covenant with David is all of the responsibilities for fulfilling this covenant reside on God himself. This is not a bilateral contract. This is not, David, if you do X, I will do Y. This is God saying, I will do Y regardless because I'm in charge and I'm sovereign. And all of a sudden, he begins to lay it out. Look at where he begins to say, he says, I'm going to make your name great, verse 9. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to have this reputation. You're going to be renowned for who you are. It ought to ring a bell for us of the Abrahamic covenant that we see in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. It stands in opposition. If you know Genesis chapter 11, you probably know that story is the Tower of, of Babel or Babel, right? Where they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build a tower from the ground up that reaches into the heavens, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God says, no, you're not. And he scatters them, and that's the day that we got various languages, a diversity of language. See, what David knew, knowing that story, knowing David, David knowing what God had promised Abraham, this is just coming to fruition, is that the only one who can make your name great is the Lord God. We are not capable of doing that ourselves. The people tried. It didn't work. God told Abraham, I'm going to do it for you. Here we are with David. God saying, I'm going to do this for you, David. I'm going before you. Your name is going to be one of renown because I'm offering you that. I choose to do that for you because you have a heart after me and I'm going to do that for you. And all of a sudden we see that. That's the first of the promises. Look at the second of the promises. I'm gonna give you a home You're gonna have roots, David. You as a people, when you look at your history, you've wandered. You've been in Egypt. I told Abraham you were gonna have a land. I gave you a land. You were you were removed from the land. And we know that this is gonna, you're gonna lose it for a bit, but in the end, this is your land, David. I'm going to give you roots. You've wandered, you know what it's like not to have a home. I'm going to give you a home, David. And you're going to have a land that's forever. And if you're part of Israel, you're like, Lord, let it be. Let it be. We have not had a home for so long. Let us have a home. Look at the third part of this in verse 11a. You're no longer going to be disturbed by wickedness or evil. No more. There's a day coming where there will be no more wickedness or evil. Now, if you read back in the time of Judges, the time of Judges, which was before Saul, which was the king before David, you see that that was a time of turmoil and chaos and evil, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and there was constant chaos and violence. Well, David's already sitting in his his palace. The Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies. We're in this season where he's sitting around, and that's what started this conversation. He had time to think, what would I like to do with my life? Lord said, There's a day coming where wickedness and evil and all that's going to be gone. And then we see that some of these things happened in his lifetime. Not all of them, not all of them forever. There were interruptions. At no point are we told that there will not be an interruption to these promises, but we are told, I'm doing this for you, David. Here's the end of the story. And we know there were some interruptions because they get taken off into captivity. They have some tough days ahead, but it doesn't invalidate God's promise. And God is making some bold promises here. Because if we pick up in verse 11, where I quit reading, let's read through the end of the promises. From that time I appointed judges over the, my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Where did this begin? This began with David sitting in his palace. A king sent him properties, uh, excuse me, sent him materials, sent him builders and carpenters. And there's a house. And God, David goes and says, God, I want to build you a house. And all of a sudden God brings this full circle and says, David, I'm going to make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See what we just did there? you somebody coming after you. That's who I've raised up to build that house for me, David. It's not you. We know that to be Solomon. We know now because we know the next chapter. David didn't know that at this time. He says that somebody is coming, but more than that, it's going to be his kingdom forever. Well, Solomon's not going to have a kingdom forever. Matter of fact, part of what the Lord through Samuel is telling him is, you're going to have a dynasty. Now, they'd never had a dynasty. They wouldn't even know what a dynasty is. There was only one king before David, and it was Saul. And God ripped it away from Saul and gave it to another bloodline. So they have no idea what a dynasty is, but this is the first mention of it. Somebody from your lineage, David, is always going to be on that throne forever. How does he say it? I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity. See, now we're back to Solomon because the Lord can't commit iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But... Even though I bring discipline, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. I'm not walking away from this deal. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. See, I did that with Saul. I'm not doing that ever again. I'm not doing that ever again. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David, I'm not rejecting you. I'm redirecting you. I don't want you as a builder. I want you as a ruler. I have a different plan for you. I've got a plan for you that will span from now into eternity. It's a different plan. Is it a better plan? Well, yes, because it's the plan God had for David. The plan God has for you is always better than the plan that you think you have for you. That makes sense? And all of a sudden, he says, okay, that's what I have. By the way, where does this go? Well, let's see if this rings a bell. Luke chapter 1. And behold, as the angel's talking to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. See why 2 Samuel chapter 7 is such a pivotal chapter? It sets us up for a Messiah that we see all of that come to fruition. And I would say this, those promises that are there, I would say this to you today. If you're here and you don't know him, And what you say is, I've tried my whole life to make my name great. It's not working. The Lord says, let me give you a name that is great. And you and I could say, I've never had a home. I feel like I've just drifted all over the place. The Lord said, let me give you a home. Put down roots with me. And if we've ever looked up and said, I need rest because I feel like everybody pursues me from every corner and I don't know what rest even looks like. The Lord says, let me give you rest because you won't find it anywhere else. And if you say, I want a lineage that goes on forever, the Lord says, come and join my family because I've been at this forever. If you're here this morning and you don't know him and you say, I don't know any of these things and I want all of these things, what I would tell you is they're only found in the person of Christ. That's it. And the invitation for you and me that we've been separated by God, from God, because of our sin, and there's no way. And people try to bridge that gap all the time. Let me be good enough. Let me be, uh, give enough money away. Let me try to do this. Let me try to remember, uh, remi- uh, memorize enough verses. We try all our ways, and there's no way to bridge that gap except one. And it's this one who came as the Son of the Most High God, That came to this earth in flesh, died on the cross righteously for the unrighteous, and then walked out of the grave three days later having conquered death. And he offers that to you and me by placing our faith in him. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, the invitation is for you to trust him. And then all of a sudden, he gives you a name, he gives you a home, he gives you rest, and all of a sudden you have an eternal lineage. That's a gift straight from God himself, and David is excited. How do I know? Watch what happens. David busts out in song and in praise for what God has done. Look with me if you would at verse 18. Then, then what? After Nathan spoke all of this that the Lord told Nathan to speak to him, we don't see him sulk, we don't see him pout, he doesn't kick his feet and say, man, I really wanted to build a temple. No, because when the Lord reveals himself to you, there is one proper response. Look at what he does. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You know his first thing? He goes before God and says, thank you for revealing yourself to me. Get this, the most high sovereign God of the universe who is, uh, we could not get to make him or get him to reveal himself to us if he did not choose to. It's by his goodness that he reveals himself to us at all. It's by his goodness that we even have this book. You recognize if he didn't give us this book, we couldn't bang on the door of heaven and say, no, you will give us this book. David breaks out in praise. thank you. With this moment, who am I that the Lord God of heaven would speak to me? Recognize the humility. And in those first three verses where it's king this, king this, king this, and then we move into the next group of verses, and and the Lord said, tell David my servant, tell David my servant, tell David my servant, tell David my servant. Do you think David understood? Well, look back at this. You have spoken of your servant's house. See, David just had that realigning, that reorienting of self. I'm king. I'm pretty good. I'll do what I want to do. Lord says to Nathan, go tell him, remind him that he's my servant. Did it work? Yes, because all of a sudden David is like, you're right. The servant has no right to demand that the king speak to him. But the king spoke to me. He thought about me. He's making promises to me. Get The the king of the universe is making promises to his servant for the servant's good. So see why he breaks out in praise? See why all of that? He has this moment where he says, look at what you've done for me, God. And he's blown away by it. He thanks him for the present. But he just doesn't stop there because what God has just promised him in the present is huge. So he reflects on the past. Look with me, if you would, at verse 22. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we've heard with our ears. We've heard these stories, God. We've heard what you've done. We heard you feed our people in the wilderness. We heard you lead them out of Egypt. We've heard about you parting the Red Sea. We've heard all of these things, God. We know who you are. We have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on her earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O oh Lord, became their God. Man, this present, I give you thanks for revealing yourself to me. These are incredible promises you've offered me. You didn't have to do that, but you chose to do that. Are you capable of it? Lord, we've heard. We've heard who you are. We've heard how you work. And you came in and you redeemed it. We're the only people group you've ever redeemed. You led us out of Egypt. We couldn't make you do that. You chose to do that for us. And I think he's blown away looking at the history. He remembered, this present is great what you're offering to God, but when I think, are you capable? I look back and I know there's no God but you. You are who you said you are. And all of a sudden, that gives him hope for the future. How do we know? Look down at verse 25. And now... Lord, from this point moving forward, and now, oh, Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Lord, I'm pleading with you. I am asking you to bring this about. Make this happen. Why? Why? and then your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant will be, David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, quote, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant, not the king, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, You are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant again. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Lord, make it be. Because this dream, this path you have me on, I was just wanted to build something. I just wanted to build a building for you. Not that that was wrong, but you said, God, I've got something bigger and better for you, David, that I want you to do. And I can't do that. So, Lord, the only way this happens is if you make it so. And when you make it so, what's going to happen? The world will see you at work and they will honor you and praise you because nobody else can do it. No human king can ensure that his throne goes on forever unless the Lord makes that promise. And David, in humility and brokenness, says, you are right. You're the king. I'm just the servant. Lord, make it be. And then everything changes for him in that moment. By the way, I don't know if you were counting as we read through those verses, starting in verse 18. Ten times David says, I'm your servant. No, never once does he call himself king, your servant. Seven times he calls him the sovereign God. Think David got his bearings? He absolutely got his bearings. You're sovereign, I'm your servant. Seven times, you're sovereign God. Ten times, I'm your servant. And it brings them all down to the place where he says, This is what I want. See, David had a house. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. God says, I don't want a house. You're not the right guy to build my house. Somebody after you will build my house. But let me tell you this, David I'm going to build you a home and I'm going to build you a house that lasts forever. I'm sure David said, That's incredible. How do we know? Because he bust out in this prayer of praise. You see, there's this moment where when God changes our plan, we got a couple of options, right? We can desperately cling to what God is changing. I say that according to our plans. We can desperately cling to that which God is changing and what we thought the plan was. Number two, we could go this route in anger and despair and hopelessness, say, well, God, I'm just a pawn in your life. It doesn't matter. What I want doesn't matter. Or three, we have another option. You know the, That option? Lord, I'm excited. I'm excited. I don't know what you're going to do how it's going to work, but I'm excited because you've revealed yourself to me, and I look at the past, and I've heard about what you've done, and I'm on board for whatever that is, and we're going to move forward, and I can't wait to see what you do. We can desperately cling. We can begrudgingly go, or we can excitedly jump on board. i got to tell you, as much as I like change, I like change on spontaneous things, small things. Big things are harder for me. I'm living this right now. I got permission from my daughter to share this. See, we've been thinking for six, eight months, my daughter was moving to Lubbock for college on Wednesday. Wednesday. I mean, like three days from now. And last week, my daughter called me. I was on the road, and she was visiting her brother in Baton Rouge, and she calls me, and she says, Dad, I've had a change of heart. You're like, about what? Like you want a different color shirt, right? And she says, God's given me a moment. I feel like he's calling me to go to a different school. And I think, honey, we we move you into a dorm in 11 days. And she said, I know, but God gave me a moment and I feel like I don't want to miss the moment he's given me. And she starts laying out, well, why? And I'm thinking, well, what if we just go to Lubbock for a semester, maybe a year, and then we, sweetie, can you even apply yet? She goes, I don't know, but I know this. If God wants this to happen, he's going to make it happen. And you know what I realized in that moment? I can affirm that the Lord speaks to my daughter. I can affirm that he's capable of leading her, and I can affirm her ability to hear from him. And my opportunity is I can desperately cling to what I thought the plan was, I can begrudgingly accept the plan in despair, or I can jump on board with hopefulness and expectation for how the Lord is gonna work. You know what we do? All right, let's go, let's go. If this is what the Lord wants for you, then I'm all in. And she sits there and says, "He'll this is why, this is why, this is why, and I said, you know what, I'm all in, I'm all in. I was all in on the previous plan, I'm all in on this plan, servant, he's the king. And he always does stuff like this. And by the way, let's just say this. First Chronicles 28 picks up this story. Then King David rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for the building, but God said, because God has the right, To change the plan his plans don't change our perceptions of his plans change but God said David you may not build the house for my name for you are a man of war and have shed blood yet I'm not just rejecting you David I'm redirecting you yet the Lord God of Israel chose me he chose me what is he choosing you for he chose me for my father's house to be king over Israel forever Jeremiah has this story where Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, and there this potter was working at his will, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel. And it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. He's our potter, we're the clay. And we allow him to shape us however he sees fit to shape us. It's his plan. He's the king. We're the servant. What a gift that our king invites us into his promises.
0: You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. You can also hear each week's message Sunday mornings on 89.5 FM KMOC. Listen to our podcast online anytime at gracechurch.com or find us in the Apple Podcast directory. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.